the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli here on a Wednesday morning. We've got uh, the coaching carousel is up and running. We've got some adjustments to our week two schedule and a conversation that Barton started to hint at during our Monday podcast, the fun that can be had diving into the depth charts as they have been released ahead of uh, week two, the, the really big opening week for the ACC and the Big 12. Um, I guess, first of all, since we recorded on Monday afternoon, we didn't get uh, a re- we haven't gotten a chance to meet with our audience or discuss much. So I guess brief thoughts first on BYU 55, Navy 3. Never a doubt. I mean, is that it? it so the, the tackling, like, did we practice tackling? Is, no. is, I mean, the answer is no. And that was something that was interesting from Ken Niamatololu. BYU did. BYU, BYU, BYU sure. absolutely <laughs> did. But I mean, how about uh, Niamatololu coming out and he was like, look, we discussed it as a coaching staff. We, you know, weren't sure. We went back and forth. We had the tackling donuts. We had the, you know, bags of sand or whatever they're using right now. But, you know, we didn't hit and it showed this one's on me. Like on number one to get my like, camp counselor on it's like that's accountability that's real leadership right there but you know at the same time I mean, what else would you expect from navy's head coach did you are you going to take anything from that uh, in terms of starting to think about this weekend or the weekend after from uh, from that little bit of news or that little bit of information after the result i i have been diving in and in talking to all my sources to find out if any schools out there have not had any contact in practice this off season, because I am going to bet against every single one of those teams. Ken, the Amatololo's just too, just too good of a guy, just too caring and concerned about the well-being of his players to be, uh, ready for week one. Um, I think that I, I do have my, my takeaway is that it's, from from a locks perspective it's it is very i think it's very important like anytime we're going to make a play anytime i'm going to make a play i better just do just a little bit additional non box score like non depth chart relate like just just mentality like um uh, and i don't know that that was even out there i don't know that the um the the non contact practice stuff was even out there honestly my bigger my bigger take or my bigger frustration 
in terms of something that I feel like I missed in prognosticating this game was just the idea that this is this BYU season is down to like eight games with like North Alabama included on it and just a bunch of nobodies. I think Houston might be the only other sort of reasonable opponent that they play. This was this was the season for BYU. Like this was they had every reason to be ent- entirely motivated for this game. Um, and, and that was clear. And so I think I, I, I said somewhere else, like it's, it's almost like the rest of the year, there's a little bit of a bowl season element to this, to the rest of the season. You know, how many, you know, how much, how much quarantining has the team had to deal with? How many, uh, how motivated are they? What do they have to play for? Like, I think we're going to have to weigh that every week. Like that's the NFL draft. Like who's thinking about sitting out kind of mentality check. We're thinking about that. I think who cares? Think who cares more? What are the stakes? Yeah, I, I just want to say, Barton, you're disrespecting the troops because BYU does play Army in ten days. Uh, well, but I'm saying, like, this was this was also the premier game in, yeah. in college oh, football yeah. that night. You know, like this was so yeah. The, so so that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting game though because Army looked like they've been tackling in practice. Uh, BYU looked option proof. Yeah, so yeah, that's that, BYU that, that is be extra ready to tackle on the option. What's crazy is we've had two games involving service academies and option offenses, and the combined score in those two games has been ninety-seven to three. It's just the service <laughs> academies have been at complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Whereas you know Army beat Middle Tennessee forty-two to nothing, and Navy lost fifty-five to three. So it's like. There's there's really nothing to take away from how the option attacks are going to fare other than you should practice tackling during the offseason. <laughs> to the point about the stakes, Navy does have a conference championship to play for. I downgraded the midshipmen. I don't think I was like wildly high on Navy uh, in terms of trying to be... Like, I don't think I had them as a top four team, but... I had them in that middle thicket of uh, the American Athletic Conference as the AAC now has gone to one division. And if you are EC, if you are Tom's ECU Pirates, if you are my beloved USF Bulls, I got to think that that Navy game, if you're a fan of, uh, I think that that Navy game probably looks a little bit different after that. Unless you believe that BYU is on one this season and trying to go eight and zero and make the college football playoff. They probably, uh, they, 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 they probably will go eight and zero. I mean, they probably. Like, I mean, that was that didn't strike me as some sort of. I mean, they looked legitimately pretty good. Yeah, and I think you know, offensively, they. I mean, Zach Wilson is is uh, is good. They've got their offensive line is good. Um, so I, I don't think that that's some sort of going to be like a an outlier performance especially given the schedule of plays they probably will go ahead and know yeah i mean they're, they, they've got army next then they get troy utsa at houston texas state western kentucky north alabama most I mean, of they'll them. be favored in all of them i would imagine yeah maybe not at houston byu's uh touchdown drives i believe they averaged under three minutes per drive too i mean it's just it was so, so we were, cause we were texting about, uh, just sort of like the live line early in the game, particularly like, I think, I think for Nelly, you were the first one to be like live lines up to, uh, you know, Navy or BYU minus 
eight and a half or something. I double dipped. I got it at minus eight and then again at minus 13 and a half. So I was, I was, um, there was, there was like some like parent, like bedtime stuff that I was dealing with at the time. And like, I was a little bit like in and out in that first half of the game. And every time I, w- I went to try to make a play on the live line, like I got a little bit distracted, so I couldn't uh, finalize the bet. And then by the time I got back to being able to do it, like BYU had scored again, and the the line was like took some time to update. And like I could I couldn't catch it, yeah, because BYU kept on changing the line because they kept on scoring so quick or getting the ball back, and then then the line would reset. And so uh, it was BYU was too too good for me to for me to catch them. The uh, this is this is a recurring theme already in our young po- portion of the season is that Barton's family is preventing him <laughs> from being able to make either winning or losing wagers. We'll see. Like there's some there's there's some you know uh, deity or hand gambling god that it comes washing over the Simmons household. Uh, we'll see if this becomes a continuing trend. Yeah, if my if my two good years, two good consecutive years come crashing down, I, I am blaming the toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, another piece of news from Monday. I, I believe it broke, you know, just hours after we concluded our conversation. But the the coaching carousel is spinning. The Southern Miss and head coach Jay Hobson have mutually agreed. It's a resignation. I think. That based on, so like we look at Southern Miss last year. Southern Miss last year beat UAB, I think in like early November. And UAB's went on, I think, to win Conference USA. One of the better Conference USA teams. And then all of a sudden, Southern Miss kind of started backsliding near the end of the year. Whole bunch of double-digit losses near the end of the season. And I think that there must have been some conversation or some feelings around the program that maybe... Maybe everybody wasn't on the same page, and there was some hope that things were going to turn around. But when you are a two-touchdown favorite against South Alabama, and then you lose by two touchdowns, making, I think, either the fourth or fifth consecutive double-digit loss for the Southern Miss program that, again, midseason last year, looks like they could be competing for a conference championship. Uh, it, there's, it just seems like nobody's even going to... Uh, want to go back from that. So Jay Hobson is out as uh, the head coach of Southern Miss and Scotty Walden has taken over. He's the offensive coordinator and he's now the interim head coach at the ripe age of 30. The like we, we look at the Southern Miss job. It's a program with a lot of history. Like it is a, a proud program, but right now, but of course like also had, what was it? Uh, like it had an zero and twelve year. That was the Ellis, the Ellis Johnson single year yeah, performance yeah. of zero and twelve. Yeah, so it's um, you know I think that there's probably a lot going on there. But we talked about you know are, how many coaching changes are we going to see during this pandemic? I don't I don't know. Well, we we've at least got one. Uh, what were some of y'all's thoughts about the firing? Uh, I said on the our show on Saturday night when we were doing the reaction, I said that you know in that game Southern Miss just looked totally unprepared and totally, you know, lifeless for the most part in that game and getting beat up by a South Alabama team. That said, I didn't sit there and think that Jay Hobson was going to get fired, but I can't help but think kind of like what you were saying, Chip, with the way that the season ended last year and then watching that performance as a two touchdown favorite against South Alabama and seeing how lifeless that team looked. 
I mean, I, I, I didn't expect it to happen, but I can't say I'm surprised that it did either. Yeah, I, I, I was, I didn't, that was not on my radar. Um, and I mean, only because Southern Miss has not been a, a dominant group of five program like it has at its peaks um, for uh, under other coaches. Um, but they've been good. They've been, they've been going bowling. They've been, so I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily, um, that wasn't on my radar as a coach that was on the hot seat. That wasn't on my radar as a coach that would have been, uh, tempted to, to bounce. Um, and so, yeah, I was a little surprised. I mean, the performance was, was, was bad. Uh, I, I do think that, I, I guess that's a job that doesn't pay a lot. Like he's all, he's a, he's the lowest paid coach in, in conference USA. I saw he's only making $500,000 a year. Um, and so I, I don't know, you know, there's uh, their assistant coach. I think, um, Scotty Walden, the new interim uh, head coach making like one hundred and ten thousand dollars or something. Um, it's and not so a bad salary. It's, <laughs> good, it's, it's, it's a good living. It's a good living. But he's a head coach in in college football in Hattiesburg. In Hattiesburg, <laughs> yeah, kill it. Yeah. So it's uh, I, I it, I'll be interesting to see where they go. I, I do think um, on the interim front, I have um, I've met Scotty Walden a couple times. He is. He is everything you would expect a a young interim coach to be in terms of like very energetic, very like personable, like, you know, looks you in the eyes and like really wants to, you know, wants you to know he cares when he's talking to you and comes off very authentic. Like, I like him. I think he's I'm rooting for him to really be like, I don't know if he's got any shot at the head job or not, but I, I do think he is a he's a rising star coach. He's been a guy that's been in our 30 under 30. Uh, coaches in college football for uh, for twenty four seven sports in the past. Um, so I'll be interested to see what he can do. Uh, what what kind of what kind of energy he can generate after that uh, week one showing. Do you think your thirty for thirty articles are what spawn Southern Miss to say, you know what, it's time to get this guy out before somebody else snaps him up? I think the AD looked up and saw that thirty under thirty article and said, oh wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty Walton thirty under thirty. Barton. Get him, let's Barton get him in that here and roll. I got to get this guy. Give him six figures in a head coaching job. <laughs> yeah, no uh, no losing seasons for Jay Hobson. 28-23 and uh, 23 overall, 20-12 and 12 in conference play. Never finished worse than third in the Conference USA West division. Three bowl appearances in four years, but uh, a – a team and you know he had the history after being an assistant there as well and being a, a former Ole Miss uh for, former Ole Miss player but just did not uh did not apparently click so we are on into uh the the Scotty Walden era in Hattiesburg now, have you all see the names thrown around? I don't know if you're going to go oh, there, yes. Chip, or you're moving yeah, yeah, yeah. on. But if you, no. you see the, the names thrown around have been like Hugh Freeze. the return of Larry Fedora, Larry Fedora. Hugh Freeze uh, Rich Rodriguez yep. has been thrown around. Um, I, I don't. I. I. I, I be. I, this will be interesting to see where they go, especially if they don't have a lot of money to throw at somebody. Yeah. That's that's what I was. Gonna, it's like you mentioned how much Hobson was making, and you know it's on the lower end for an Division One FBS head coach. And I think that I look at that, and then I look at what this year, you know, with COVID's going to have the kind of financial impact it's having on athletic departments all over the country. How is Southern Miss then suddenly going to be able to turn around and get somebody like Hugh Freeze or Larry Fedora or Rich Rod to come? Because they're not coming for five hundred grand a year. 
Mm. I could see Hugh. I could see Hugh Freeze coming for. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, pro, I don't, he's in a pretty. He's in a pretty nice spot there at Liberty. He's sort of. Uh, it's kind of his show over there. He can do no wrong. I just think he wants to be in the mix, and his, I think Southern Miss is a little more in the mix. His boss stepped down. I think Hugh Freeze is actually now running the university. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> Bods are asleep. Let's go. Run loose. From a hospital bed in the athletic department offices, Hugh Freeze is running the show. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about it in terms of it being like a for the – for the Larry Fedora, for the Rich Rodriguez, for the former head coach who, for the former head coach who clearly would probably like to be a head coach again, it's just got to be a, a nice, nice little thing to have over here in the side as you, you're like, all right, well, you know what? Um, this will, this will be a nice little negotiating tactic and heck, you know what? Might be a good opportunity, but uh, we got a long season to go before that happens. We haven't even like Baylor hadn't even played yet. We still got to see Larry Fedora. Baylor won't play. Yeah, still got to see uh, see how things go for the Bears there. All right, before we get to that, we've got some recruiting news. Five star offensive tackle Nolan Rucci commits to Wisconsin. He chose the Badgers over Clemson, Michigan, Notre Dame, and Penn State. He was one of the highest rated uncommitted players in that 2021 recruiting class. Made his announcement on Tuesday live on CBS Sports HQ. This is a Pennsylvania native, so you know very much in the in the Big Ten footprint. Barton, did you did you look at this as uh, just sort of you know what Wisconsin does? Kind of felt like a a routine recruiting win in the trenches, or did you look at it as anything uh, anything larger in terms of significance? No, I don't think it was just a routine uh, win because this is uh, a kid that was a a five star guy in the in the composite rankings. Um, you know, Clemson and uh, Penn State and all the all the big time programs were chasing him. So to get that guy is big. I also think it. Um, of note as well. So 2019, you know, Wisconsin recruits well on the offensive line, but a lot of the guys that they do a good job with are these developmental guys who play tight end in high school and grow into offensive line and they show up at 250 pounds and they, they get developed into a, a really good players. 26, 2019 class, Logan Brown was the, was a five-star offensive yeah. lineman. He registered last year. And uh, I would expect he would have played this year, will play this year. Uh, but but five-star guy in the 2020 class, Jack Nelson was, uh, according to us, not the composite, but us, uh, was another five-star offensive lineman. And now Nolan, Nolan Rucci, a five-star offensive lineman. Like, that's, you know, they're good. At, they're, they're good without the five-stars. And now they're getting the five-stars, at least on the offensive line. So I, I just think it's, it's – um, it is quite a statement for what Wisconsin is is continuing to build up front, the way they can continue to to push people around up front, um, and it is legitimately a big get. Uh, this Todd Rucci was a New England Patriot second round pick, played for Penn State, uh, a, a Pennsylvania kid, uh, and his brother Hayden Rucci plays tight end for Wisconsin. So it was sort of legacy versus legacy, and and Wisconsin won out. But I think this is another one where the familiarity. Um, and the, the inability to get on campus for visits, uh, the inability to sort of get, get uh, opportunities and exposure to like Penn State's coaching staff a little bit more 
particularly the offensive line coach, uh, probably is 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 a factor in this, and the pandemic probably played a factor in this. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm going back to what you were just talking about, though, with the history of what Wisconsin's been able to recruit. Because if you look on on 24/7, Wisconsin, you know, recruiting classes at the bottom, you know, they have the all-time rankings, and you see, like, of course. Obviously, the three highest recruits in Wisconsin history, as far back as the database goes, are all offensive tackles. But to me, what stands out is that of the five stars that are on that list, they hadn't had any since 2007. And then, you know, I, I know you said Jack Nelson is not a five star in the composite, although he was with you guys. But that's this is now three straight years after not having a five star for 14 years or whatever you want to whatever the difference is. They've now had three straight classes with one five star player. And yes, they're all on the offensive line. And that's there's a difference. But it's what Barton was saying. This is a program that has taken, you know, six, three, 250 pound kids from Wisconsin as three star prospects brought to my campus, developed them and turned them into NFL players. And they've had great offensive lines along the way, and we've seen what it's been able to do for them as a program. And now they're bringing in these five-star kids, dudes that don't really need as much development, or at least even the ones that still do need the development have farther, you know, much higher ceilings, much bigger frames that could become even better. And you see that, you're like, oh, my God, if they've been able to do that with the little 250-pound kid from some Manitowoc, Wisconsin, what are (laughs) they going to do with this, you know, 6'6", 285-pounder? It's it's very scary. Like if if you're a Big Ten West team right now, Wisconsin's offensive line has already been a big enough pain in the butt to deal with. Now it's going to be even more difficult to deal with. And if if that starts leading to more recruiting success, it may be a quarterback spot or receiver spot or running back. This is a team that maybe, you know, suddenly starts closing the gap to where we could look at it and say, maybe if it gets to the Big Ten title game, they might have a better chance of beating an Ohio State or a Penn State or Michigan, whoever they're going to end up meeting there. Six eight two hundred ninety five pounds. Shout out to Lidditz, Pennsylvania, and great work by Joe Rudolph uh, being the lead recruiter on there. And this guy named Barton Simmons compares him to Mike McGlinchey. Oh, they're both about six eight, big long ass dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, be sure that you go and uh, always, of course, keep it locked in to 247sports.com for all of the best from Barton and the rest of the 247 Sports team. Coming up on the other side, uh, a little bit of a scheduling update for the Baylor Bears and our week two schedule. And also, speaking of Baylor, they show up as we take a dive into the depth charts. Next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
So we're going to have a lot of games postponed. I think we're all. Have any been postponed since we started recording? It it was a little bit of a flood over the last couple of days. Uh, So Oklahoma State, Tulsa, it's not going to happen this week. Just pushed back one week. Um, the, we saw on a, another level in the American athletic conference, temple says they need more time to play Navy. I don't get that one. If I was temple, I'd want to play Navy today. <laughs> I don't want them to have any chance to start working on the tackling. And then the Baylor, Louisiana tech game, which we mentioned in our week two storylines and narratives show at the beginning of the week was really interesting. It's the debut of Dave Aranda going up against uh, Skip Holtz. It was a game that was going to get a little bit of a, a bigger spotlight national television audience and, you know, a lot to learn and a lot to get excited about there. It has been postponed after 38 Louisiana Tech players are now in COVID protocol, uh, either quarantining because of contact tracing uh, or because of positive tests. Because, and man, this is just like the... The headache of all headaches. The the hur- a freaking hurricane came through. Like they they had to all gather together to be able to you know shelter together to try and be safe. And because of that, guess what? You were within six feet for more than fifteen minutes with a lot of people. And so the Louisiana Tech football program has totally had its operations um throw like a huge wrench thrown into their operations so that game uh, is not going to be played this weekend that that stinks like that definitely doesn't feel like something that you could have foreseen uh, at you know at many different turns though uh, it certainly adds to the little bits of inconvenience and uniqueness not in a great way about trying to play a football season in 2020 uh any like I, I don't know. Was there? Was, did you all have any? Before we dive into Baylor's depth chart, I'm sad that we don't get to see the game. That is, that's my feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I. I it's because the two games that have been postponed for this weekend were two of the more interesting games, or at least two of the games that I was more interested in seeing. So losing them stinks. It's just for me. It's 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 one of those things. It's like this is going to be. I, I can't help but feel this is going to be a weekly occurrence where we're seeing at least a game or two. And you know, this is a smaller weekend as far as the overall number of games as we move along. And in a few weeks, the SEC joins in, and more of the conferences play starts. I just, it's like, man, I, I don't know what this season is going to look like. How how we're going to like wh- by the time this thing finally ends. I don't know what we're going to look at the 2020 season as and what we're going to take away from it because I I have a strong doubt that every single team is going to be playing its full schedule. I think that we're going to see a lot of teams like we're talking about BYU's only playing eight games on the schedule to begin with. But I think we're going to see a situation where like this, these games that are postponed, they're postponed for now. My inkling is they're not going to get played at all because with the bye weeks that are remaining on the schedule, I feel like Big 12 teams, ACC teams, SEC teams, they're going to want to save those for conference games. So if this Louisiana Tech game gets postponed to where it's kind of going to have to, well, we'll play it on our bye week that was supposed to be in the middle of conference play, Baylor's probably going to say, no, we need to save that in case something goes wrong with one of our other Big 12 opponents. So... Yeah, you save it's, it for conference championship week. You take like the yeah. hurricane protocol. It's like if neither of us are playing for a conference championship game, then that last week we're going to play this game. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of these games. Just not they're postponed for now, but I just don't think they're going to end up getting played at all. 
Yeah, I also think though, I mean, we're they're, they're being postponed in in many cases out of an abundance of caution because you don't really have to play them. They're non-conference games. I do think that they will. They, I mean, the Big Twelve is set. We talked about it last show. Like they put together the protocol. Like if you have fifty-three players, if you have a quarterback, if you have six, whatever it is, seven offensive linemen, you got to play. And so I think that that that'll happen more. I think these these uh, yes, I agree, hundred percent. There will continue to be postponements and cancellations, but I also think that they will be fewer once we get into conference play, um, because of some of those protocols, because there's consistency and across the board. I, I also think that this is like when when the announcement of Louisiana Tech Baylor being postponed hits uh, because Louisiana Tech has 38 players. You know the the chorus of and look, I'm not. I've, I've, I'll say it again. Like I've, like I've said it before, I don't know what the right answer is. I know what my opinion is, but I'm like the the chorus of people being like, oh, see, like this is going to be unsustainable. See, like the Big Twelve and the or the Pac Twelve and the Big Ten probably are right after all. Like, see, look at how ridiculous this all is that you guys are trying to play football. It's like like you said, ship. There was a hurricane. <laughs> Like there was a hurricane. These guys all had to go like were, were dispersed. They they were this was extenuating circumstances. And so, of course, they come back with with a lot of positive tests. And and and, or, so, and like the, we don't even know the positive. Like this could be a few positive tests. But because it was a hurricane, you're in right. very close proximity to each other, which therefore with the contact tracing protocols can ex- cast a very wide net. Right. So so don't you know. So I'm not. This isn't just like, so don't come at me, you know, like football doomsday people and say like, like, let's, let's all be discouraged once again. Like, no, I'm riding some positive energy right here. Like things are looking up. We got football this weekend. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take your bait and start feeling bad about things and, and, and feeling sorry for ourselves. Like football's coming and, and, and it's coming in a very safe manner by all indications to this point. Was there a hurricane in Knoxville? The four, yeah, I mean, so the, by the way, that I also was a little bit so forty four, like Saturday, forty four, um, and then it was down to twenty eight or twenty seven. Yeah, and like whatever, so, but. there was like there was clearly a lot, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't all. It wasn't forty four positive cases. It was there was contact tracing that was involved in that. There was I think it was twenty something was COVID related. There are also some like injuries and other issues for for the reason that number was so high in terms of what the the number was was players out, which. Uh, didn't allow them to have the scrimmage. Um, but yeah, like I think that this is, don't get me wrong, like there's going to be significant challenges, especially considering SEC protocol calls for a 14 day quarantine mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. even like, even if you have a negative test. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's like, I'm, I'm not sitting here say, like, you know, whistling, saying that nothing's, there's no, no issues because those rules by definition are going to create some pretty, uh, yeah, the contact tracing is going to be a real bear to overcome for programs because it's, it's yeah. a situation like if three guys get it, but they're in a meeting with 10 other players or they're, you know, they're living in a room, you know, they're roommates with a couple other players and those couple other players are going to other meeting rooms. It's the contact tracing that's going to lead to a whole lot of dudes. And like you said, the SEC has got that 14 day quarantine period. It's like, man, one or two cases could really go through your roster and not I don't not even with positive tests, just with the impact it's gonna have on who's available really quick. Yeah. Now, I understand, Barton, you've you've really <laughs> got this like 
it's don't kill my vibe kind of thing going on. <laughs> but are they tagging you or are you just seeing it? Because I, I don't know if everybody's coming to your doorstep trying to pour water on your flame. I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm not going to name names. I'm just, I get, I, I'm, I've, I've sort of reached my, my frustration. Like I've been, I'm not, I, look, I, I've, I've never been, and I still am not the, oh, reporters, like, what are you guys, why are you rooting against football? Like, I'm not that guy. I'm, I promise you. And I don't think that. I don't think anyone's rooting against football. But I also, ign- I, c- I, can, I can identify when someone is just negative. Like, they're just, and, and like, you don't have to be blindly optimistic either. But you don't have to just cling to every negative report and and try to be. I told you so about it, and so that's all I'm saying. And it and it just and and it's nothing more than it just gets annoying. You know, yeah. it's just it just gets annoying. Um, and and I and I think I also think it's it's sort of it's kind of human nature. Like you 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 get your hooks into one side of the argument, and then whatever the, comes along that fits, yeah, it's like comes oh, along that, that backs go. up like that initial point of view subconsciously you're gonna be like oh well i was right like look i uh, see and and again it's nothing more than just i'm kind of over it i'm just sort of annoyed by it yep i feel you and there's there's a whole lot of that going around these days and not just with college football not just yeah. with college no doubt. football. yes absolutely <laughs> that's true also um now it's funny because you mentioned the big 12 protocols and and we talked about seven offensive linemen four interior defensive linemen and in my head i was like yeah you gotta have the 300 pounders that's not the case of baylor uh barton one of your most (laughs) interesting uh points from and it's uh, an article on 247sports.com again like you mentioned it on monday's show and then i saw the article and I was like, this is, this is fun stuff. I was like, oh, no, no, no. If you've not exhausted yourself, I was like, oh, I want to chop this up right here. I, I don't know if you had, did you have it planned or did you just get inspired by digging through depth charts? No, this is always, I, and, and this will, I make it, I make us a mileage out of this because there's the opening week is, is sort of like almost like three weeks date. long, <laughs> yes. you know? So I might be able to do, you know, depth charts, depth, depth chart mania, you know, once a week <laughs> for the next three weeks, but I love depth charts. Um, I think, uh, you just, it's, it's, especially this season is this season. We didn't have spring practice. We didn't, we barely had summer workouts. We've, we've not had really any rep, um, reporters being allowed to the, the preseason practices to this point. So there's just uh, there's a lot of unknown. Like we can actually glean a lot of information that we that we had we weren't privy to prior to the release of depth charts. And so I just think it's it can be enlightening. It can be telling. the 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 point that you're uh, leading me towards is the Baylor one. Um, and you can find my story on twenty four seven Sports um, or on my Twitter profile or whatever. But um, I just thought it was interesting. So Baylor is it. You know, this is going to be a year where Dave Aranda has to make some adjustments and, and is, has to deal with a different set of personnel, a different roster, just a different style of play in the conference. And um, I thought it was interesting when I looked at the defensive depth chart at Baylor, they have their, their front three is like the three down linemen in that, at odd front defenses are 280 pounds, 285 pounds, 295 pounds. The nose is 285 pounds. And then, and I just, I was like, that, that, that's, that looks a little, a little light. light. And so, 
you know, and so I went back and I checked LSU's from last year's starting group is 309, 345, and 308. Um, so it's an average of, I think, 286 pounds uh, versus an average of 321 pounds. Um, the 346-pounder the, the that started at Nose Guard last year, Tyler Shelvin for LSU, his backup is 354-pounder Siaki Aika. So the and and so like everyone's above 300 pounds on that LSU defense front last year. Baylor on their whole depth chart, the defensive side of the ball only had one guy that their heaviest player was 300 pounds. Um, and so all of that's to say, like I, it's just a it's a this is a new set of personnel. The Dave Aranda defense will have to be a little bit different. I'm not saying they won't, won't still be good. But there are new challenges, and he doesn't have he doesn't have a, a an endless bench of three hundred pounders he can trot out there and and push people around with. Uh, we did have at Baylor, um, isn't that where we've got little Doyle? Yeah, Dylan Doyle. Yeah, yeah. Strength coach. Yeah, and son. the the the, um, the Arkansas State transfer who had had really good things about is not is not the starter at edge, uh, which was a little bit surprising, but I think that that's just means that they're deep there. But the other, but Jake Burton, the right tackle that transferred from UCLA, I think August 25th, he put his name in the transfer portal, um, has already won the starting job at right tackle. So I thought that was, uh, that was of note. And, uh, and for, to your point, even looking at last year, the nose Bravion Roy, 333 pounds. Of course yeah. uh, he was a senior and he's now gone. James Lynch at the end, just 295, but boy, he was dominant. That is uh, James Lockhart was the other end in the 3-4 defense last year. He was also a senior. It is a massive, uh, let's see, like Blake Lynch was a senior. Clay Johnston was a senior. Jameson Houston, Chris Miller, Henry Black. Like that whole defense is going to be new, and it is going to be interesting to see if, if they're going to be able to maintain a high level of play at Baylor. Where else do you want to go? What else? What other teams stood out to you? So uh, there's a there's there's a few other places that that were interesting. I thought um, one of the like this is not a this is not sort of a headliner team, but I, I just thought it was interesting. So Texas Tech, who I think has got a pretty good offense, I think they got a pretty good quarterback. They can keep Allen Bowman Bowman healthy. Um, they but their defense is is just sort of a Texas Tech defense. Um, I thought it was of note that they've got starters, uh, Krishan Merriweather, uh, Jacob Morgenstern, uh, Eric Monroe, Colin Schooler, like of their potentially of their, you know, 11 starters on defense, four of them are newcomers. Like Merriweather is a Juco transfer. Um, Morgenstern is, is a Duke transfer. Uh, Eric Monroe is an LSU transfer safety and Colin Schooler, another one of these guys who got there like a week ago is, is their starter at, uh, at will linebacker. So they've got this, they've got like new blood on their defense, but it's veteran new blood. Like it's, it's all guys. They're not a bunch of true freshmen. And so I think that that was like, perhaps, I don't know, you, maybe you can spin it in a negative way, but you know, the a positive spin could be if you're, if you're wanting to look at, an optimistic viewpoint of the Texas tech defense. They've, they've got some, some talented players that have played a lot of snaps and in some meaningful games before that uh, are going to be new starters on their defense. 
I am going to be taking Houston Baptist in the points. I thought we fade Houston Baptist. I thought that that was a principle. But again, like you mentioned, Martin Collins Schooler has literally been at Texas Tech for 10 days before he was named a starter. <laughs> and I just think that with the kind of offseason we had, like we saw what happened to Navy when they weren't really able to practice. So now Texas Tech's defense has a bunch of transfers who weren't with the team last year who are literally just getting to the team who will be starting. Granted, it's Houston Baptist, but it's also a 40 point spread. And I have I don't think that the Texas Tech defense is going to be in great shape for that game. Not saying they're not going to figure it out in the second half or whatever, but I think early we could see some a lot of breakdowns and maybe Houston Baptist takes advantage of it. So, yeah. Speaking of transfers, um, Michigan transfer Tariq Black, who, you know, just a – like I feel like all those uh, – all the Michigan wide receivers, because of the – hand wringing and the deep dives that go into Michigan's offense. We, we get to know them, but we don't actually always get to see them like star Tariq black has displaced Brennan Eagles for a starting wide receiver spot on the Texas depth chart. Now Eagles uh, like great, great speed. And we've seen him at times uh, like, didn't he have a really good game in that LSU shootout? Uh, he, he made a few plays. He was, yeah, I think he, I think he beat. Um, was it Christian Fulton on one of those? Um, yeah. Um, so what'd you what'd you make of Tariq Black getting that starting nod? I mean, all the Texas people seem to be like kind of thinking this is a, like some sort of big deal. I, I think Tariq Black is 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 good. Like he's been he's been battling injuries at Michigan. Yeah, that's really um, the only thing that ever slowed him down at Michigan was like injuries. He's always yeah. been a very talented player. Yeah, I don't think this is some like big, you know, statement as to how much Brennan Eagles is in the doghouse. I just think I think Tariq Black's good and he's just healthy and um he's he's mature, he's a veteran, he's been playing, you know, he's been playing since his freshman year. Um and I, I think uh, you know, Brennan Eagles Still going to play a lot. Still going to catch a lot of balls. Still going to be a, a speedster on the outside. Uh, and so I, I took that. And even like the other one that was um, interesting to me was the on, on the defensive side of the ball for Texas, Jalen Green, who I've long thought is their most talented cornerback, was displaced as a starter as well. I, I don't think either – like neither of those – I'm still not going to – like that – I'm no less – of the opinion that those guys, that Eagles or Green could end up getting drafted and getting drafted really high next year. I just think that that probably means that L- at the Texas has pretty good depth at both of those positions, the wide receiver position and, and the defensive back spots. Um, so I'm not, I'm not too, too, too worried about it, to be honest. You've been beating the drum for Jordan Addison all damn off season. So the pit wide receiver, I'm going to let that stand. Well, I, he's, he's going to have a good game. We'll, we'll, we'll see a flash play against Austin P for sure. But speaking of the ACC, um, you've got Miami and Florida state listed. And for both of them, you're looking at the running back position. This is, this is sort of, it kind of struck me when I saw, so at Florida state's, Running backs are Deshaun Corbin and Ladamian Webb. Ladamian Webb was a um, JUCO 
uh, guy, Deshaun Corbin, was, I think he was a four-star in the composite. We had him as a three-star. So it wasn't like he was a nobody, but they are they are just sort of every man running backs. And maybe even better than that. I don't know. But but they're they're not who like they're not the parade of all Americans that Florida State has been trotting out prior to that. Uh, think of like think about the run Florida State has had at the running back position. Devontae Freeman and Chris Thompson were sort of going back and forth as their leading rusher. Oh, James uh, Wilder, too. That's right. Ed Wilder. They, they then they had Dalvin Cook, uh, Dalvin Cook to Cam Akers. Even like even behind Cam Akers, we were f- sitting here waiting for the uh, Kalen uh, Laybourne yeah. sort of arrival. As the he was a really highly rated guard, guy too. So there's been these this this you know steady stream over the last decade of first round, second round type of talent at the running back position. And uh, Deshaun Corbin and Ladamian Webb, I'm not sure those guys are that. Um, but I think the 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 other viewpoint is, you know, Mike Norvell has produced. NFL running backs and of those guys, Daryl Henderson, Antonio Gibson, Tony Pollard, like those guys were not five stars and four stars. And so um, it will be interesting to see what the run game looks like. It'll be interesting to see how Mike Norvell uses the athletes there, but, um, but no Cam Akers, no Devontae Freeman, no Dalvin Cook. I think it'll be interesting. Anything, uh, any, any other teams you want to hit before you get out of here? Uh, I think, I'll, I'll do I'll do maybe two more. So one Clemson like this is Clemson's just so everyone knows like Clemson has been competing for national championships with like classes ranked between like 11 and 7, you know, like 15th, you know. Sometimes there's small classes, but still like just not this class was ranked I think what third highest ranked class in Clemson history. Uh and it seems to be exceeding expectations. Like Brian Brzee's stud balling out. Like they can't say enough about him. But also, offensive line has not been a strength for Clemson. And they've got three true freshmen on the two deep right now, which was was I thought very interesting and and telling. Um, so I think Clemson is like, you know, we 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 might not have hit the golden age of Clemson yet. Is is kind of what I'm getting at, which is <laughs> which is a little bit scary. Um, and then I thought Notre Dame, you know, we talked about Kyron Williams a little bit, so I guess I can pass on that. But but them and Chris Tyree in the backfield is 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 big. And then let's keep an eye out at Kansas State for Deuce Vaughn, little five foot five, little jitterbug. He's he's I think a, a co backup at the running back position. Um, you know, Darren Sproles comparisons, they're gonna be you know, it's uh, too hot easy. And heavy it's way <laughs> quickly. too easy. But he's he's supposed to be really good, and uh, and that could be a fun one to to keep an eye on at Kansas State. He's he's five five, and his name is Deuce Vaughn. I've never seen him play. He's already one of my favorite players in the country, no and, doubt. And that game is going to be on Big Fox. That's your big noon Saturday. That's right. Kansas State right. and Arkansas State flexed into the spot after the uh, postponement of Baylor and Louisiana Tech. We will be back tomorrow on Thursday. Check your device around lunchtime. Subscribers get it first, so make sure you subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast. It will be your week two locks. Remember, minimum of three, no max. I feel like everybody's – no, nobody had a – what are we, like one and two, three and two? Two and one, baby. Two and oh one. And th- oh, and th- oh and three. You went over? <laughs> 
Yeah, man. Yeah. I told you guys I wanted nothing to do with that weekend. <laughs> you guys, you guys bullied me into taking three picks. And you almost went zero and four if you're SF. So make sure that uh, that you the jump on that. Fault. Yeah, for sure. Follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. Follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, sir. Set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.